So that, uh, that video that we watched earlier tonight, the, uh, the marshmallow test, what did you guys think of that? What did you think of that video? It's kind of funny, eh? So that, that, uh, that video that we watched is actually based, I mean, that's not the real study, but it's actually based on a real study that happened through the 60s and 70s out of uh, Stanford University. Uh, psychologist Walter Michel uh, was a, a professor there at that time. And uh, the, the whole idea of the study was to see about a child, what, what kids would do, um, with, whether they would take and have that sort of instant gratification from one thing that they can have right away, or whether they would be willing to wait and able to wait and have delayed gratification and get more in the future. So they did this study. They actually had about 600 kids that they ran through this study. And uh, as you saw in the, in the picture here, what, you know, they, they start with one marshmallow and they were told if they would wait for 15 minutes, they would get a second marshmallow and they would see. Um, I saw this, this, um, this test, I don't know, a bunch of years ago. And uh, so I actually did it with my own kids afterwards because I thought like, I'm gonna try this. This looks like fun. So I would encourage you uh, when you go home, this is totally nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but try it with your kids. See if they can wait, give them a marshmallow off them, see if they can do it. Um, what they found in this study, and in the follow-up research, there's all kinds of research around this. What they found in the study was this. The kids that were willing to wait, the kids that were willing and able to wait longer for a better reward, they tended to have better life outcomes. What they did is not only did they do the initial test, but they actually did follow-up tests. So they'd follow up with these kids, these 600 kids, years later and see what, how, how did they, what were their outcomes. The kids that waited, the kids that were able to, to have that delayed gratification, uh, tended to have better, um, better university scores, uh, grades, they had better grades, they had better um, BMI, and all kinds of other life index markers. They were better and healthier. Kids that had this delayed gratification, those that were willing to make the right choice, they were better on later in life. They did better. Now I'm not gonna do that test anymore. You're not doing it, no? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You, but now you're worried? Is that what it is? Now you're worried. <laughs> All three of my kids did it, actually, so you never know. But um, one of the things in this, though, and it's funny because in the test when they actually did it, only, uh, only 200 of the 600 kids that they did were able to wait. 400 kids ate the marshmallow. Isn't that crazy? And it's interesting, you know, I, I would say that this marshmallow test, I mean, it's, it's not the Bible. We're going to dig into the Bible tonight. But it gives this picture of something that I, th I think from Scripture we can see. And there's this important picture about delayed gratification. This ability to wait. And we can see it through this test, we see it through this research. And uh, we're going to take a, a quick minute tonight, spend a few minutes together, and to look at um, a, a story in the Bible where the opposite is also true. Where this, this inability to wait exists. And uh, that story that we're going to look at tonight uh, comes out of Genesis chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them up, we're going to start there in Genesis chapter 25. Titled the message tonight, The Great Exchange. And this story that we're going to look at is a story of two boys. It's a story of two brothers, Esau and Jacob. 
Uh, Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 27. I'm going to read to you the story of these two brothers and this exchange that they had uh, from there. This is how it goes. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac, who is their dad, he loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But Rebekah, who is his mom, loved Jacob. So you can kind of see this, you see this tension already starting to grow? Like in one little part here, we see two boys, we see this dad that loves one, this mom that loves the other, that never happens. And we see this tension starting to grow. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. It says, this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me. Hear this. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. <clears throat> Jacob was this little, uh, he's a sneaky guy. None of us have kids like that either. <laughs> Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn son. What a story, hey? These two boys, Jacob and Esau. This exchange that happens. And you know, as I kind of dig into this, this story seems to defy any sense of rational or, or reasonable thought. And in fact, it's, it's kind of so crazy as you think about this exchange that happened here, this, this firstborn. I'm going to give you my inheritance for a bowl of stew. It's so crazy that it makes you wonder if they're even in their right minds. Why would anybody give up their, their, this long-term destiny, this, this thing that they have coming? Why would anybody give it up for a bowl of stew? Does it make sense to anybody here? Thanks, Brayden. Oh, just like put up your hand, I know. I would die, so. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but no, why would anybody do it, right? It doesn't make any sense. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, in, in this time, the way this worked, uh, the birthright, what it actually meant was that the firstborn son would get double the portion of any other siblings. So if there was... Uh, two siblings, like there was in this case, the firstborn, Esau, would have gotten two-thirds of all of the inheritance. It was worth a lot. Isaac had sheep, he had goats, he had camels, he had all kinds of stock. This was not a small thing that Esau was giving up. He was giving up a third of his inheritance, his birthright. This was extreme. In the story, just to kind of reiterate, we see Esau, he'd been out hunting, and when he shows up at home, he's hungry. He's tempted by the smell of this, this, this stew that Jacob's cooked. And this, in this vulnerable state, Jacob gives him this proposal. 
and exchange. I'll give you a bowl of stew for your birthright. He challenges Esau to compromise his future, his destiny for the immediate satisfaction of his short-term appetite. And Esau is hooked, jumps into it, hook, line, and sinker. What would you have done? Pause for a moment. Pause. What would you have done? Yeah, fair enough. Depends how long you went out without food. What would you have done? Think, put yourself in the shoes. You're hungry. You've come home. What would you have done? Jacob gives you this offer. I don't know about you, but I think it's easy to criticize Esau. Fair enough? They're like, what a dummy, right? Truth? What a guy. What was he thinking? It's this foolish, this illogical decision. It's something that would affect him for the rest of his life. It's easy for us here tonight, I think, to suggest that none of us would ever make a decision like Esau's. Is that true? We'd go, I'd never do something like that. But before we jump up on Esau and kind of get down on this guy, let's think about us. How many times do I, me, how many times do you compromise or exchange long-term goals, future stuff for something Fulfillment, some fulfillment in the short term. How many times have you, have I given up something that was coming for something that was easier now? Am I the only one? It's easy to jump on Esau. Come on, what a guy. What were you thinking, buddy? But I don't know about you. I've done it. I've been there given up what I knew was the best for something that was easier, quicker, right there, right now. And I want to say, I, I think that this, uh, this problem, that giving up something for the, for something that's coming for something easier today, is something that is an epidemic in our culture today. The inability uh, to wait this instant gratification. I need it now. Right now. I'm, I was like, we, when we were buying Christmas gifts this year, this, this, you know, uh, this holiday, if it didn't have Prime, it was like, let's go find something else on Amazon. Because if it doesn't come in two days, pff, I'm out. <laughs> Am I the only one on that one? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's maybe just me. <clears throat> I think it's an epidemic. Am I right? You know, in, the, in big cities in the States, Amazon, it's guaranteed same-day delivery. I'm going to click it, and it's going to come to me now. Right now. I want it now. Anybody remember what layaway? You ever remember the term layaway? Do you guys know what layaway? Younger guys? It was this idea. It was something that used to exist where you would purchase something, but maybe you didn't have all the money for it. And you would put part of the money that you have on it. It's yours. And you'd have to continue to pay it off until it was finished paying for. It was on layout. And then you'd get it. It was yours. It used to happen. You, there's this delayed, no, heck no. I've got a visa. I've got a, whatever, right? We don't wait. There is a problem in our culture with waiting. This delayed gratification. And as I we kick off this new year, as we think about 2019, 
I wanted to start with this, this kind of this thought, this topic. And the, the, the thought is simply this, and we'll, we're gonna jump through three different thoughts that we're gonna learn from this story tonight. But the thought at the core of all this is what can this mean for us as a church? What is that thing that God has got that best for us as a church, as a community, that maybe if we are willing to wait for, to play the long game for, is better than maybe something that would be right now simple, quick. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage, not just for us individuals, but as a church, as a community, as, a, as a, a mission going on, as a people of God going on mission to Port Alberni, what could that look like? What's that end game? Three thoughts as we just close tonight. I'm going to wrap it up pretty quick. Three life truths that we can learn from this story of Jacob and Esau. This, this picture of this exchange that happens. Uh, three, three thoughts. First one is simply this. Our human appetites, your human appetites, can be extremely intense. And they can have a way of distorting your objective reality. They can have a way, another way of saying that, of distorting the way that you see reality. Our hunger, our appetites can be so intense that we don't see clearly. And that's something we see in this story. Verse 29, we see this. Words. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. Really, Esau? One day hunting and you're starving? One day hunting? This is highly unlikely that Esau was actually starving. A couple thoughts here. So, first of all, it takes about 45 to 65 days to actually die of starvation. 45 to 65 days. Do you think he was starving? He'd been hunting for one day. I don't think so. Also, if Esau, if Esau was starving, it's unlikely he would have been out hunting all day if he was actually starving. Not only that, but the chances of him actually starving are really slim because he was coming home to food. There was food at home. We see in this picture, like, the point is this. Esau wasn't actually starving. Fair? Is that fair to say? It doesn't make sense. It's not realistic. But, but, the, but that's exactly my point. If we're not careful, our passions, the things that are appetites that we want, even our emotions... They can have a way of distorting reality. If we're not discerning, we can allow our desires for something, our appetite for that short-term pleasure to completely eclipse reality. The problem is, the first thought we can see from this story is that if we're not careful, that thing that we really want, that short-term thing, can make us think that it's there. Oh man, I just need that. I'm starving for it. To use Esau's word. It can change the way we see reality. It's not true. And it's amazing how a person can think, perceive, rationalize, justify when their appetite for something, for anything, becomes strong enough. Isn't that true? We can justify anything when it's like, oh, I just need that. I want that. And this is part of what happened to Esau. And it happens to us. 
Let me ask you a question. Are you so set on getting something you want that you might, in fact, be losing sight of reality in light of the intensity of your appetite? Is there something in your life, in my life, just a good, just, this just a reflection question. Is there anything in my life that I want so bad that it's tweaked the way I see reality? Second thought for tonight from this story. Your appetite, my appetite for instant gratification has the potential to significantly detract, to take away from the outcome of your long-term destiny. This desire, this wanting something right away can take away from the long term. We see this in 32, verse 32 in the story, where it says this, in what, excuse me, what good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Esau was so focused on instant gratification, the satisfying what he wanted right away, that he was willing to give up his long-term goals, his long-term destiny, his future, his inheritance, which is super sad. Why would somebody make such a compromise? Why would somebody give so much? kind of look at it and you're like, why would somebody do that? But the truth of it is it still happens today. Here's a couple of examples of some of the things that I see around us in our culture today. And maybe for you, some of these may hit and you'll go, yeah, maybe that's me too. But I'd say some of the things we compromise, we compromise our long-term health for short-term pleasures. We give up being healthy for something in the moment. For me, candy at night. Too much candy at night. Or other unhealthy choices that we make. Short-term things that we want that actually derail our long-term health. And it's an Esau syndrome. A birthright for a bowl of stew. How about financial stuff? We compromise our long-term financial goals for instant gratification of purchases, things that we might not need right now and maybe that we can't afford. And again, it's an Esau syndrome, a birthright for a bowl of stew. Sometimes we compromise freedom, our long-term freedom, through the instant gratification of things that will master us, addictions, things that we get caught into, And again, it's the Esau syndrome, a birthright for a bowl of stew. Sometimes we compromise the long-term future of our marriages, our relationships for that instant pleasure. And again, it's that Esau syndrome, a birthright for a bowl of stew. Kind of hear these examples and it, it starts to go like, man, this is not, Esau was, it's not just this one-off. It wasn't just this story, right? It's something you can see all around us. Food, sex, power, pleasure, materialism. All of these things can be just like a bowl of stew. If you're not careful. Again, just another thought to kind of ponder tonight. 
In what ways might you be compromising your long-term destiny, your birthright, for the fulfillment of a short-term pleasure, a bowl of stew? And again, this is not just to you, but to me as well. What are the ways that I'm trading the things that God's got for me, the future, the, the incredible plans he has for my life? What have I traded for something short that's easier now? And the third, third thought, third idea quickly as we just wrap up from this story. When you lose your revelation of God, your picture, your sight, your view of God, and the importance of his place in your life, you become much more susceptible to the temptation of your appetites. When we don't see and know the importance of God in our lives, his place in our lives, it's way easier to fall to temptation. In verse 34, we read these words. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. He showed contempt. And in some ways, this is him showing contempt for God. Because God is the one that has put him in that place. That his, he is the firstborn as God has ordained and set that in plan, in place. And he's saying, God... Nuts to what you've given me and who you've made me to be. Esau is turning his back in this, in this engagement, in this interaction, on God. And is it possible maybe in this moment that Esau had lost his vision of God? Is it possible in this moment that in this hunger, in this, oh, I'm just so hungry, this starvation moment, that he's no longer seeing who God is to him? Maybe he didn't care about this future destiny because he, he lost his vision of his future with God. And I want to say for us tonight, when we no longer have a vision for God and who he is to us, this sense of accountability to him, there's less reason to delay gratification. If this life is all that there is, then the here and now, the instant, the immediate is all that matters. And I believe that this is one of the reasons why our world is so characterized by instant gratification. Because they don't see God. For us, the call, that question, that, 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 that pull for us as we walk this out then, is how do we see God more? How do we recognize him in all of life? How do we seek him and know him and be known by him? In a way that it's not just some God box that we do on Sunday evenings. I was going to say Sunday morning, but already Sunday evening. That we go to church and we do our God thing. But in all of life where God knows us and we're known by him. And, and we know him and there's this intimate relationship with the God of the universe. That he desires and that can exist. When that happens, when we know God and we're being seen by him and we're seeking his heart and seeking his desire for what his will is for our lives, when we're there, living there, it's way easier to go, God, you see everything and so I trust you. I'm not going to just go running after this, 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 whatever's in front of me right now. Does that make sense? 
I'm going to be willing to wait because I trust you, a sovereign God who is in control, who I believe has a big plan and a big picture that I maybe can't see, but I can trust. As we sang tonight, you're a good God. You love me, you know me, and I can trust you. Proverbs 29 says this. Whoa, that's not it. That's my wife, but that's not it. You can just close it. It says this, where there is no vision, no revelation of God in his word, the people are unrestrained. Even better. Doesn't matter. It says this, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word, the people are unrestrained. When people don't know God, don't see God, there's nothing to hold them back. There's no restraint. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. The moment, yeah, live for the moment. For the long haul, no, don't worry about that. Just do now, whatever. When people don't know God, us included, when we don't know God, not just know about God, but know God, there's no restraint. As I just close, I want to just kind of leave you with two, two thoughts, two, two verses just to close tonight. The first one comes from Genesis 4, verse 7. <clears throat> it says this. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. We must master be the master of our passions and our appetites and not the other way around. We must not allow the immediate, the things that are right now, that are right in front of us, to become the masters that run us. But we must allow God to work in and through us to control that, to know that he's in control, and to not exchange our birthright for that bowl of stew. And the second, I just want to read again from Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, where it says this. <clears throat> For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are real enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. My heart, my prayer... I don't read this as a condemning verse. That's not the point of this. But it's just to recognize that the call of us as believers is to live a life where we don't just exchange the immediate, the right now, for what God's best is for you. And I believe with everything in me that God has a plan and a purpose for every person in this church, in this building tonight. That there is a direction and a purpose and an outcome that he has for you. A way to serve, a way to get involved, a way to, to reach out to your neighbors and your community and, your, and the people around you. He's got bigger plans than you can even imagine and understand. My heart and my passion for us as we jump into 2019 is that we wouldn't just trade the simple, the easy, the quick for the best that he has for you. As I mentioned before, there were 600 kids that were part of that marshmallow test, right? Only 200 of them were able to wait. 400 of them ate the marshmallow. 
I, my, my prayer for us is that we would be those 200 that can wait, that can hold on, can wait, delay gratification, have restraint, have self-control, temperance, that, that that would characterize our lives. And that as we are able to do that, we'll see incredible long-term stuff happen. One of my favorite quotes, just as I... As I uh, conclude or finish tonight is simply this, that we often overestimate in the short term what we're able to do. We kind of go for it, go for it, but we underestimate in the long term what we're able to do. My heart, my passion is that we would look long, that we would see long as God sees long and not just trade our birth rate for a bowl of stew. Would you just bow your heads as we uh, close? And as, as we close, just uh, before I pray here tonight, just heads bowed and eyes closed, just in a moment of respect for each other around us. Um, all of this starts, all of this conversation, all of this, this conversation about, uh, about a God that knows us and sees us and has a plan for us, all of this starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. And so if you're here tonight, you know, that's not some mystical, magical thing that's kind of way out there, but it's actually something that is right now, right here, right within your grasp. There's no specific words, but it's something simple that says something like this. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. And I want to ask you to come and live in me to be the Lord of my life and to change me from the inside out. I want to have a relationship with you. And it's saying a simple prayer, something like that. In the very moment, Jesus is with you and in you and living through you. And for those of you here tonight that that's something you've already done, my prayer here tonight is that it's something simple like this. God, I, I pray that you will just help us to let go of the things that maybe we've been running after in the short term. The things that just are there that maybe the shiny whatever the, the things that, <laughs> like Esau, were like, oh, I'm starving for that. Fill in the blank. I need fill in the blank. But really, in the long term, it isn't the best. And we're trading something. Trading your best for this short-term gratification. God, would you help us? Would you, would you grow in us this willingness to just wait, to, to seek you? Not to give up, because it's not, it's not that we shouldn't stop doing things in the moment, but, but God, to, to seek you in this. And to know, to, to have discernment. Where are we giving things up? Where are we trading the long term, your best, for something short term? God, may you work that in us. May you grow in us this ability to wait. And Father, I thank you that as we do, it's... A, it's, it's it's something that is so different than what exists in our culture. It can't not be something that gets noticed. And would that notice be something that points back to you, Jesus, as you, we say, it's because he's in us. We can wait. God, we thank you for this time, for this opportunity as we jump into 2019 to, to know you more. In all of this, may we know you more and be known by you. Thanks, God, in your name. Amen.
Hey, one of the things that we, uh, again, love to do as we just wrap up tonight is uh, just take a couple minutes to uh, do a quick question and answer. So, um, and basically what we're kind of do here in this time is if there's any questions, maybe something I was speaking about, or maybe there's a thought, something that's jumped up as we've been talking. It's like, oh, this really kind of, or maybe it's a challenge. I don't really totally agree with what you're saying. I'm okay with that too. So um, any questions, uh, maybe a thought about what was spoken or a challenge here tonight? And there's no pressure, but if anybody wants to share. Yeah, sorry, Luke. Uh, I just thought it was cool. Like, I've heard, like, that story, like, of Jacob and Esau. Yeah. For, like, years and, like, never really thought about what it meant. And, mm. and I thought it was, uh, like, just hearing the story all the time and just thinking, <coughs> what an idiot. <laughs> like, sure. But then, but then to think, like, how much more important is God to us than a birthright? And we compromise our relationship with God every time we sin. Mm. And like, I sin a lot. So it's mm. like, uh, how much more of an idiot am I? Mm. Like, yeah. it's kind of uh, self-reflecting. I'm with you, man. Yeah. As I studied this too, it's like, holy crap. Like, I'm way more Esau than I want to admit. <laughs> is that fair to say? Yeah. Like, way more Esau than I want to yeah. admit too. I'm with you. Yeah, I saw the, uh, I've seen, like, the uh, marshmallow video and sure. stuff like that yeah, before. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was an awesome connection as well. Yeah, so. cool. Any other thoughts, questions, just as the kids are running towards us? I can't find them. Like, I was, um, I've never heard that Esau was in the field for only a day. Um, where did, can you help me find where Esau's at? I'll jump through it with you afterwards, for sure. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else? <coughs> I'd love to, though, for sure. At yeah, the end same. of verse 20, uh, no, 34, yeah. chapter 25, mm-hmm. it says thus, um, Esau despised his birthright. And this is after he saw his birthright. Yeah. In your um, translation, it says contempt. Yeah. Um, which the, In the New Living, yeah. That pretty much means the same thing. Yeah. Um, worthless and such. Why do, you, why do you think that he looked at his birthright and his position as something that was worthless and something <clears> that yeah. he despised? It's a great question. So I just, I don't know if you heard at the back, but I was trying to reiterate, you can, he, he, Sam just asked, why do you think it was that he showed contempt for his birthright? Why did he just go, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. And, uh, you know, it, to be honest, it's, it's a big question. It's hard for us to gauge and know why Esau thought the way he thought. Um, you know, again, and I kind of touched on it a bit, but I think part of it was this this instant or this need, this desire, literally he allowed it to overshadow and re- realize what was really important. It didn't matter to him at that moment. Um, it's hard to know. Maybe he thought, ah, oh, Jacob's just this punk. I was, whatever, I'll go along with it. Who knows, right? Um, it's, it's hard to gauge really in this from the text uh, as we read even more through it. Um, why did he exactly, why was he showing contempt? For whatever reason, what is clear is that he didn't, he, he's like, who cares? Why did he not care? I don't know. And, and to be fair, why do people not care? There's a thousand answers to that question, right? Why do I care what happens to me or what God thinks? Or you can, there's all kinds of answers to that. Um, but at the core of it all, it's all about me. Is that fair to say? It's all about me. Who cares what God thinks? Who cares about my brother? Who cares about my birthright? It's just me, what I need, me, self which is the, that's Adam, Eve stuff, right? Right from the beginning. It's all about me. 
It's what breaks up marriages. It's all about me. It's what breaks up homes and relationships. It's all about me. So at the core of it, I think, who cares? Yeah. Um, I was just uh, remembering I had uh, a pastor at one point that made me uh, memorize a C.S. Lewis quote. Okay. It was uh, put first things first and yep. get second things thrown in. Put mm. second things first and you lose both first and second things. Mm. And so God is always that first thing. Sure. And, but oftentimes we put those other things yep. in. But in the end, if we put those other things before God, we lose everything. Yep. We have nothing. To lose. <coughs> yep. That was just something that, that he felt was important enough. Yep. That was the first thing that I had memorized. And can't remember anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, and I want to encourage you, none, none of this talk is to say don't buy things. That's not the point of this. It's not just give up living. That's not the point of this conversation. But it's really what you're saying. Yeah. Is have I set God, you know, your will, your plan first, and then live life. Yeah. That's, that's really the core of this, right? Are we trading for what God's best is? Or we can, God wants the best for us. So we can have an incredible life and have fun and buy stuff off Amazon Prime. That's not ungodly, right? But are we seeking him first in it? Love it. All right, guys. Thanks so much, everybody, for uh, chiming in. I love the conversation. And uh, have a great night. Don't forget to take your kids with you. Enjoy.